Hi, this is Dr. Roger Murphy. Welcome to tonight's conference call, Sick and Tired of Being Tired. I hope to be able to share with you some information that I think you'll find helpful in boosting your energy and overcoming some of the challenges that I see so common in my, in my patients. For those of you who have never heard me speak or not familiar with me, again, this is Dr. Roger Murphy. I'm the author of Treating and Beating Fibromyalgia and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome as well as four other books, and I've been in practice for 19 years, the last 13 years, specializing in what I like to call the medical misfits. These are the patients who, with fibromyalgia and uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, hypothyroid, the people who have kind of been everywhere, tried everything, and can't get well, the, the folks who have kind of fallen through the cracks of traditional medicine. And what I've found to be a common thread in the patients that I deal with on a daily basis is this whole lack of energy and and patients relate to me that um, they feel like their life is slipping by them and they're they really lost a lot of joy in their life because they don't have the energy to do the things that they used to do and some of it certainly has to do with chronic illness whether that's uh, from heart disease or, or diabetes but it also just has to do with life weighing them down to the point to where they just wake up one day and through maybe bad habits, health habits, or uh, things that we're going to talk about tonight that have finally have caught up with them and they just have no get up and go. You know, the get up and go has got up and went. And I assume that those listening to this call tonight, that's kind of what's happened to you. And while I could serve you well by talking about the things that you could do to clean up your diet and and clean up your health habits and certainly those would pay dividends in increasing your energy and help you get on the road to optimal health. Those are not nearly as important as the five things that I'm going to discuss tonight. I mean the five things that I'm going to discuss tonight are the major roadblocks that I find get in the way of my patients being able to, to move on down the highway of optimal health and get their, their, their health back in line to where they have energy, feel happy again, and have some zip. <clears throat> and so um, the first one I want to talk about is sleep or lack of sleep. The average American now gets less than six and a half hours of sleep. And we know from the studies out there that um, Optimal sleep would be somewhere between seven and nine hours. So we've got the majority of the American population is sleep, it's sleep deprived. And obviously, if you're struggling with poor energy, lack of energy, then sleep is one of the main things that we need to make sure that you are doing well with. So if you're having, if you're struggling night after night, either having a difficult time falling asleep or staying asleep, or just not getting enough sleep, which is a common thing, as I mentioned. So many of us are, have such busy schedules and busy, busy lifestyles that we're just not allowing enough downtime to be able to get that seven to nine hours of sleep that we need. And if you're not getting that sleep, then you're going to be at risk for suffering from all sorts of different illnesses, depression, anxiety, certainly fatigue is a biggie, just not having enough energy. Uh, not getting enough sleep increases your inflammatory chemicals by 40% and increases your risk of, and it's a common denominator of, fibromyalgia as well as chronic fatigue syndrome. 
Individuals who don't get enough sleep each night increase the risk of heart attack, stroke, diabetes, obesity, and the list just goes on and on. Because this whole thing with sleep, the, the thing about it is when you go into deep restorative sleep, delta wave sleep, it's when your body is now repairing itself from the day in and day out stress that we all are, sub, are subject to. And if you're not getting this deep restorative sleep, you're making more withdrawals from your stress coping savings account than you are making deposits. And pretty soon that starts to take its toll on you. So the first thing that may happen is you just don't have much energy from not getting to sleep. But then you may start getting headaches. So you may start getting mood disorders like anxiety or depression. Or then you might start noticing because your serotonin level gets low, not only do you have low moods, you suffer from depression, but you also decrease your pain threshold. So you start to have more pain. And that's the beginning of fibromyalgia. Or for those with low thyroid, what happens is because you're not getting the deeper store to sleep, your body is on this constant alert, constant stress, this, this vigil of not getting enough sleep so your cortisol levels go up, and that then puts the whammy on your thyroid, and your thyroid starts to shut down, your metabolism goes down, and you find that you start to lose your hair, and you start getting cold hands and cold feet, and you start gaining weight, and you don't have as much energy, and you become constipated. All those are signs of low thyroid. Or those with adrenal fatigue, what happens is because we have such a busy, stressful lifestyle, we go and we go and we push and we push and we push, and because we're not going into this deep restorative sleep each night, our bodies are not making enough human growth hormone, HGH, or it's not making enough DHEA. And the body's not having the opportunity to repair itself each night during that seven to nine hours. So you're always running at a deficit, and eventually it catches up with you. This chronic stress of poor sleep eventually takes it out of you until one day you wake up and you're exhausted. You're suffering from adrenal fatigue, low thyroid, fibromyalgia. Your immune system becomes compromised, so you might become down with chronic fatigue syndrome. All these things start to show up, mood disorders, anxiety, depression. Even high blood pressure starts to rear its ugly head when you're not getting enough sleep. So the first thing I want to focus on is what I really is what I would say is low-hanging fruit. I mean, this is the opportunity here. If you correct this, so many things in your life improve that to me it's the number one health issue that needs to be addressed. If you're not getting uh, seven to nine hours of sleep each night, then there's no way you're going to have the energy that you would like to have. There's no way that you're going to be as healthy as you could be. Now, some people need seven hours. Some people need nine. Uh, it just depends on your genetic makeup. But study after study, again, shows that six hours or six and a half hours, anything less than seven hours, is probably not enough for you to be at optimal health. If you're struggling with poor sleep, then what I would encourage you to do is to try an over-the-counter remedy. The sleep hormone melatonin can be bought as an over-the-counter supplement, and I would encourage you to take melatonin 30 minutes before, or excuse me, at bedtime, I'm sorry, and I, I like to use with my patients sublingual melatonin because by using the sublingual melatonin, it gets right in the bloodstream and works right away, bypasses the liver, doesn't have to be digested, and patients typically fall asleep within 10, 15, 20 minutes of using the sublingual melatonin. I recommend patients start with 3 milligrams of melatonin 
And if that doesn't work, then they go to six milligrams. If that doesn't work, they go to nine milligrams. So the first night you start with three, and then each successive night you add an additional three milligrams for a total of nine milligrams. Now, if you'd like to know more about sleep in detail, I want to mention this before I forget it, you can go on my website, the treatingandbeating.com website, and there's a couple of places on there where you can get a 36-page uh, report on sleep. It's a free report, and you can get it. And one of those is at um, the essay. There's an article on fibromyalgia where you can get the 35, 36-page sleep report. You can go to BEAT, B-E-A-T, uh, fibro, F-I-B-R-O.com, and on there you can get the sleep report. And you can also go to the thyroid, essay on thyroid uh, on, the, on the website, the, uh, the little article about the thyroid, and uh, you'll see that also in there you can get the sleep report. And I would encourage you to get that because I'm going to be talking about um, as much as I can tonight, but that thing goes into tremendous amount of detail that I think you'll find incredibly valuable if you're struggling with your sleep. Okay, so melatonin, 3 to 9 milligrams. Now, what about if you're not having trouble falling asleep, but you have trouble waking up during the night? So you may fall asleep within 30 minutes, but then you wake up maybe two hours later and you can't go back to sleep. Well, I would still encourage you to try the sublingual melatonin, but for some of you, what you may find is that you do better with time-released melatonin, or P, it may be called PR, prolonged release, or SR, sustained release. And this type of melatonin is designed to uh, work in your body throughout the night. See, what happens is melatonin, which is our natural sleep hormone, it, it's released towards bedtime. It's controlled by the, by the pineal gland, which is in, in your brain, and it's largely controlled by light hitting your, your eyes. And as the sun goes down and you're having less light hit, hitting the retina, then your melatonin levels go up and another hormone called cortisol goes down. And as that happens, um, you start to hopefully start winding down and get drowsy and fall asleep. Now, melatonin levels usually at their highest between 10 and say 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and then they start falling off and your cortisol levels are at their lowest between 10 and 3, 4 a.m., and then they start to build back up and become elevated first thing in the morning. What you want to do is make sure that you get in bed before um, somewhere between 10 and 12 midnight because if you don't, oftentimes what happens is you miss your, your window of opportunity when your melatonin level is really at its highest to help you go to sleep and your cortisol level is going down. Now, some of you what happens is towards bedtime you catch your second wind. You may be tired. You may have a long work day and you come home and you eat and you're really just sluggish. Maybe even take a little nap on the couch, which I don't recommend you do in the evening. Certainly if you want to take a little siesta after lunch, a 5, 10, 15 minute cat nap during the day, I think it's healthy. But I wouldn't recommend you take an extended nap uh, during the day, and especially not at night time. So a lot of times though what happens, my patients were late, is they're exhausted at the end of the day, they get home, they eat, and before they know it they fall asleep and watching TV on the couch and they wake up about 9 or 10 and then they realize they have to 
get everything ready for the next day. Maybe they have young children. They've got to <coughs> get them in the bath. They got to clean the house. They got to pick up the kitchen. You know, all those things that have to get done to maintain a household. And a lot of times, what happens is patients catch their what I call their second wind. And you know what I'm talking about. This happens to you. You're you're really tired, and then about bedtime around 10 o'clock when you should be winding down, what happens is your adrenaline kicks in. You have all this energy and there's no way you can go to sleep. You can't turn your mind off. So you start cleaning the house and doing all, you know, getting on the computer and all the things that you really shouldn't be doing because, again, the goal is to wind down and go and go to sleep, but, there's, but you can't do that. And a couple of things I would encourage you to do um, whether you have this second win or not. But everyone should be practicing what I call good sleep hygiene, which is um, as the sun goes down in the evening, then you need to be turning the lights down and winding down two hours before bed. And that means you don't need to be on the computer answering email. You, you don't need to have a lot of stimulation. If you've, you know, if you've got um, some stressful phone calls that need to be made, I encourage you to do that when you get right when you get home after work. Certainly, well before the two-hour deadline of of the time you're going to go to bed, I encourage you to really avoid a lot of action-packed TV. And really, even better, if you really are having trouble with your sleep, I would encourage you to avoid a lot of TV time or computer time anyway. Because one of the things that deplete our normal melatonin levels, our normal sleep hormone levels, is electromagnetic fields, DC current, I'm sorry, AC currents. And any kind of electrical appliance, whether that's a TV, a computer, or even an electric blanket, all those things actually have been shown to deplete your melatonin levels. So if you're struggling with sleep, so you already have a low melatonin level, then you want to do, you certainly don't want to do anything that's going to deplete it further, right? So I would encourage you really in the evening, turn the lights down low, start winding down two hours before you go to bed. Don't do anything in the bedroom other than sleep and be intimate. Don't watch TV in bed. Don't work on the computer in your bedroom. The bedroom is your, um, your, your area to do nothing but to, again, you want to have, be intimate, and that's your place where you go and relax and go to sleep. Now, if you want to read, before you go to bed, I encourage that. Is that something you want to do? But you don't want to get in the habit of watching TV and falling asleep while you're watching TV in bed. That is one of the worst habits you can get into. Another really bad habit, I think, is uh, staying up to watch the news. I can't think of anything more depressing than watching my local news here in Birmingham, Alabama. It's mostly 20 minutes of everything that went wrong today in the world every murder that happened in Birmingham, every kidnapping, every dog that was run over. I mean, it's just every tragedy you can imagine. That's not how you want to end the day. I would encourage you to, to avoid the news. I hadn't watched the news in probably 15 years, and I know exactly what's going on in the world. Um, skip it. You'll be a lot healthier doing that. Now, for some of you, one of the reasons why you're not uh, going into deep restorative sleep is not so much that you don't have enough melatonin. It may be that you're low in another brain chemical called serotonin. And you've probably heard of serotonin. It's a neurotransmitter or brain chemical.
that regulates our moods. The higher your serotonin level, the happier you are. The higher your serotonin level, the less anxious you are. Calming neurotransmitter calms you down. Um, the higher your serotonin, the less likely you are to have fibromyalgia. Those with fibromyalgia have low serotonin states that not only interferes with them going into deeper stores of sleep, but it also lowers their pain threshold. So pain is manifested in them more pronouncedly. So for these individuals, a little goes a long way. And they have more pain, or they have a, a higher perception of pain than the general population. The higher your serotonin level, the less anxious you are, the more mentally sharp you are, and less likely to have irritable bowel syndrome. Um, you have more serotonin receptors in your intestinal tract than you do in your brain. So when you get low in serotonin, you tend to have IBS, typically IBSA, where um, IBS alternate, where you one day you're constipated, the next day you have diarrhea. If you find yourself in that category that you uh, may be low in serotonin, and, and how do you know? Well, if you're on antidepressants, you've been diagnosed with being depressed, or you have fibromyalgia, then it's a safe bet you're low in serotonin. Another way you can check to see is you can go to this website, which is my brain function questionnaire, and you can go to this link here. It's brainfunctiontest.com. If you go to brainfunctiontest.com, you can see there's a little survey there, a checklist, and you can see if you answer certain questions a certain way if you're low in serotonin, um, if you have trouble falling asleep and staying asleep, if you're de depressed much of the time, if you have uh, problems with more pain than you used to, if you don't handle stress very well, if you find you're more anxious than you used to be, more irritable than you used to be, have more tears. All those things are a sign of low serotonin. But again, you can go to that link, that website of mine, and you can see if, in fact, you're low in serotonin. If you're low in serotonin, then what I would recommend you do is you kill two birds with one stone, as the saying goes, and you boost your serotonin level. By boosting your serotonin level, you'll also increase your melatonin level and then start going into deeper stores of sleep, which is the key, for, especially for fibromyalgia, to getting well. And what you want to do there is you want to take the amino acid 5-hydroxytryptophan which turns into serotonin. 5-hydroxytryptophan, which you can buy over the counter, get that on my website. Um, that plus certain B vitamins, folic acid, B3, B2, magnesium, vitamin C, those in concert are what make the brain chemical serotonin. No one suffers from a Prozac, Celexa, Effexor, Cymbalta, Sevilla. No one suffers from an antidepressant deficiency. Yeah, you could definitely have a serotonin deficiency because you got under too much stress and you depleted your stress coping chemicals, including serotonin, which now has affected your sleep. But what you want to do is you want to take the things that make serotonin, 5-HTP, plus a good multivitamin so that you're pouring the serotonin into your brain. The antidepressants like Celexa, Paxil, etc., those are like a gasoline additive. They don't make serotonin. They only help your brain hang on to what serotonin you have. But if you're at the point where you're struggling with your sleep and you're having to take things like Ambien or Lonesta, then that's a sign you're so low in serotonin and you're so low in melatonin that using a gasoline additive is really not going to do anything because you're running on fumes. 
So yeah, can you take 5-HTP if you're taking an antidepressant? Yeah, you can. And what you want to do there is start with 50 milligrams, and if you don't fall asleep within 30 minutes and sleep through the night, then you go to 100, and you keep increasing all the way to 30, I'm sorry, to 300 milligrams. Now the way you take 5-HTP is you take it 30 minutes before bed on an empty stomach with about four ounces of grape juice. Now why, why grape juice? The grape juice helps you get the 5-HTP and turn it into serotonin and get it into the brain quicker. Um, if you, again, you take 50 milligrams and then put you to sleep, the next night you go to 100 and keep increasing all the way to 300 milligrams. 5-HTP boosts your melatonin levels by 200%. So if you're using 5-HTP, then it's probably not, you're not going to need to take melatonin. But if you get to 300 milligrams of 5-HTP and you're still not sleeping, then that's when I would add the melatonin. Again, the sleep report at beatfms.com. Um, or call my office. You can get it to call the office at 205-879-2383, and they'll be happy to send it to you free. That goes into the detail about this whole sleep issue. Um, that, you know, I could talk do a whole a whole hour on sleep and just all the potential problems that it can cause, and all the potential reasons why you're not going into deep restorative sleep. But um, please, if you will, follow my advice about the melatonin and the 5-HTP and good sleep hygiene. Now, the second thing that happens is, and this is oftentimes caused by poor sleep, is because you're not going into deep restorative sleep, then you start to deplete your stress coping glands called the adrenal glands. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this at the end of this presentation, but many of you may be taking sleep drugs like Ambien or Lanesta or Rosrim or uh, Elevil, which is a tricyclic antidepressant, or some of these medications, no one has an ambient deficiency. Now, you could have a melatonin deficiency, but not an ambient deficiency. But I would encourage you to use the melatonin or the 5-HTP and, and see if you can come off the ambient, uh, wean off of it, or the Elevil, whatever it is you're taking. Can you take 5-HTP and sleeping medications? Yeah, you can. Um, if you're taking ambient and you're sleeping through the night, should you still take... 5-HTP? Yeah, I think you should. If you're low in serotonin and you're having these other health issues like chronic pain, um, if you're depressed or anxious or have IBS, then absolutely I think that you should be taking 5-HTP along with the Ambien um, because Ambien doesn't boost your serotonin level. It just puts you to sleep. Now, Ambien does put you into deep restorative sleep. So does Lanesta and so does the tricyclic antidepressants. But, again, you don't have a sleep drug deficiency. It's better to boost your natural serotonin or melatonin states and get all the benefit of that than rather than using a drug, which is, I mean, as you know, I've got potential side effects. I mean, Ambien causes poor memory, memory loss, flu-like achy pain, uh, fatigue, and, and several other things. So if you can do it naturally, and that's the way to go. I think that's how God intended it. Then I think you should do it that way. The next thing that I see with my patients is so common that robs them of energy. Um, number one would be sleep, and then number two would be adrenal fatigue. So you have so many people in America that are just push, 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 go, 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 and there's so much stress, and they live on caffeine and God knows what else, Sudafed, you know, over-the-counter um, stimulants that help them get through the day, sugar, all these things that take their toll on their stress coping glands called the adrenal glands, that if they're not careful, eventually 
the adrenal glands get burned out to where they're not working very well. They just get so fatigued, so so tired of trying to do their job, they eventually just lose the ability to do it. And the adrenal glands are responsible for releasing certain hormones which allow us to deal with stress. And you're probably familiar with cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone that's released in times of stress to allow us to be able to deal with stress more effectively and handle it, has some stamina or resiliency to it so it doesn't just wipe us out. But over a period of years of stress, 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 and perhaps poor sleep and other things, like a lot of caffeine use and things that just deplete the adrenal glands, then what happens is when we're under chronic stress, eventually the adrenal glands say, hey, forget it, you're on your own. I can't keep up with this day in and day out stress. And because of that, I, I'm not going to be able to help you any longer. So what happens is your cortisol levels go low and you find that you don't handle stress very well. Your immune system becomes compromised. You may have problems with low blood sugar, low blood pressure. You may find that when you lie lying down and you stand up, you get dizzy, you get fatigued. A lot of times your mental acuity becomes off. You may get depressed. Your metabolism suffers. You may have problems with achy muscles or even joint pain. Um, a lot of times you'll get hyperpigmentation of your skin, so you get color changes like dark skin or patches of dark skin. Those are all signs of low adrenal function. For men, you'll find that the more stress, that in times of more stress, you'll find that, that you'll have um, an excess of facial hair. Uh, so you get a heavier beard. Ever wonder why that happens? I mean, I mean, I used, I you know, I didn't know that until I don't know a decade or so ago when I was researching stuff and wrote my first book on fibromyalgia. But yeah, that's what happens is when you get under more stress, you deplete your cortisol levels. You put your adrenal glands under more stress, and because of that, you tend to get a heavier beard. And then when your stress improves, you find, hey, I'm you know my beard is not as is uh, is grown in or is not as heavy as it, is, as it has been. Another thing you'll find is that first thing in the morning you're often nauseated when you're having low adrenal uh, or adrenal problems. You crave salt. That's another common thing. You may find uh, that you get these little calcium deposits in your earlobes. Have you ever felt those where you get these little knots in your earlobes and wonder what those are? Those are from adrenal fatigue. Your adrenal glands have gotten so depleted that you start seeing some of these symptoms show up. Now, you can test yourself for adrenal fatigue or adrenal dysfunction, which is common. I mean, everybody has it. I could probably test, I could bet that um, in my clinic, when, and we do, we test everybody that comes in, no matter what their, what their condition is, 95% uh, of them are suffering adrenal fatigue. Now, this is how you would test it at home. There's two ways. The first way is you take a blood pressure cuff, and you can buy these in any pharmacy for you know, $20, and you get an automated blood pressure cuff, and you lie down, face up, and you take your blood pressure, and then you write that number down, and let's just say it's 120 over 80, and then you stand up after you take it, and keeping your arm at heart level, you take your blood pressure again. Now, what you should see is that top number called the systolic number should go up 10 points. Now, what happens when you have adrenal fatigue is that top number, that 
this stock number may drop 10 or 20 points. So instead of being going from 120 and going up to 130 like it should, oftentimes what you'll see is it'll drop. So it'll go from 120 down to 110 or even lower depending on what your condition is. It's not unusual for those with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome for it usually you know, to drop 20, 25 points. That's a common thing to see. Why, why is that? Well, what is supposed to happen is when you go from lying down to standing up, your adrenal glands release certain hormones, including cortisol and adrenaline, or norepinephrine, which get more oxygen and blood to your muscles and brain so that when you go from lying down to standing up, you don't get dizzy. Now, some of you, that's what happens. When you go from lying down, or even if you sit up too fast, you get dizzy. And it's because your adrenal glands are fatigued, they're not functioning like they need to, and you're, not, uh, you're depleted in these, these uh, hormones, and so you're not getting enough blood and oxygen to your brain and muscles, and that's why you get these, these symptoms that you do. One of the things that happens with adrenal fatigue is because you get low in adrenaline, okay, um, you get low in norepinephrine, you get depressed. Norepinephrine is a potent antidepressant. It's, in, it's made in the adrenal glands, in the adrenal medulla, part of the adrenal gland called the medulla. It's also made in the brain. And individuals who get low in norepinephrine not only have low physical energy, they also have low mental energy that may bring on depression. Now, some of you may be taking antidepressants that are designed to help you hang on to norepinephrine, like a gasoline additive, like Cymbalta or Effexor or Sevilla. These medications don't make norepinephrine. They only help your brain hang on to what norepinephrine is in your brain. But if you're really depleted, you're running on fumes. So a gasoline additive is not really going to do anything. Now, how you repair adrenal fatigue is, number one, getting deeper stored to sleep each night. That's crucial. Number two is you cut way back on this abuse of caffeine. Caffeine is like the stagecoach driver that just keeps whipping the whipping the horse over and over again until you go off a cliff, okay? You've got to cut back. Now, caffeine in and of itself is not a terrible thing. Coffee is actually a very potent antioxidant. It's one of the most potent antioxidants there is and can be very helpful. Green tea, we're finding, is an incredible potent antioxidant, very helpful, very healthy. But if you abuse it, then that combined with poor sleep and maybe some... Um, drug medications that you're taking for other conditions may be causing a recipe for disaster. So cut back on your caffeine use. The other thing that really bottoms out the adrenal glands is white sugar or white flour, white products, white potatoes, things that are high glycemic, high carb foods that really um, are like mainlining sugar. And they really cause the adrenal glands to be under a lot of stress. So you really want to reduce your sugar intake. What I recommend for my patients, if they take the, do the blood pressure test and it comes back that they are have adrenal fatigue, I recommend they take over-the-counter glandular adrenal cortex, which helps to repair the adrenal glands and allow the adrenal glands to, to start functioning properly. Now, the adrenal cortex glandulars come from the... Um, adrenal glands of New Zealand-raised cows. They're grass-fed, so there's no 
no worry about mad cow disease. People get, uh, or be, well, cows get mad cow disease from eating other cows. I don't know if you knew that, but they eat meat byproducts, and that's how they get it. These cows are grass-fed, and that's why I would encourage you to know where your beef comes from. I don't think we really have a scare here in the United States anymore, but uh, certainly I'd encourage you, if you have a concern about that, to be eating grass-fed, organic-raised cattle. If for some reason you don't want to take an animal product, you may be a vegetarian, then you can take adrenal support formulas that we have one in my line, the Central Therapeutics line, that is a non-animal uh, adrenal support formula that works quite well as well. I like the adrenal cortex best, and that's what I use in my fibromyalgia jumpstart pack. It's also what I recommend for those with lower, lower thyroid function, which is what we're about to talk about next because it tends to do the best job and works the quickest. But again, um, if you have an aversion to any kind of animal products, you certainly could use things like, um, and this is a combination product with ginseng and rhodiola and some of these other things that help the adrenal glands. If you're suffering from low norepinephrine, and you'll know that if you go to the brainfunctiontest.com, and you'll see if you check a bunch of the in-groups, which means you're low in norepinephrine, and that, that little thing, that, um, that questionnaire will explain this to you, then what you'd want to do is take S-adenosine methionine, or SAMe, which is what makes norepinephrine. SAMe is an over-the-counter amino acid that you can buy, and it's what, where norepinephrine comes from again. Why use a gasoline additive when you can use the gasoline, okay? Now, the next thing I see that happens is, along with this adrenal fatigue, now, once you start taking adrenal cortex, and I recommend you take 500 milligrams twice a day with food, within a couple months, depending on how chronically ill you've been, but anywhere from a couple months to six months, you ought to see that your adrenal glands really start to bounce back, again, especially if you're getting deeper sorts of sleep, um, and you reduce your caffeine and... and um, Sugar, sugar intake. Once you do that, you should see your adrenals bounce back, and you should be able to handle stress better, have more resiliency, more stamina to stress, so it doesn't just wipe you out. Now, I mentioned there was two tests, and I just realized there's two tests, self-tests you can do for to see if you're low in adrenal function. I mentioned the blood pressure test, where you can test that. The other one is to take a pen light, a flashlight, and go in a darkened room, and looking in a mirror, what you want to do is shine that pen light into your eye, okay? And what should happen is the eye should constrict. The pupil, the black part of your eye, should, should become smaller. Um, that's healthy. It, but now if it enlarges, okay, if it enlarges after a period of 5, 10 seconds, with you still shine the flashlight on there, that's a sign that you're low in uh, adrenal hormones and you have adrenal fatigue. Again, you can read all about that on my site, the treatingandbeating.com site. You'll see, um, if you'll go under adrenal fatigue under the conditions list, you'll see links on the side there, left-hand side. And if you'll go under adrenal fatigue, it'll guide you through how to self-test for low adrenal function. And it'll also... Um, provide the protocols to helping you overcome adrenal exhaustion or adrenal fatigue. Now, the next thing I see that's very common in my practice is low thyroid. And I know 
some of you tuning in tonight, that's something you've battled with. And what typically happens with low thyroid is people have all the symptoms of low thyroid, like fatigue, which is the most profound symptom, uh, headaches, dry skin, swelling in their ankles and feet, weight gain. I mean, they, they smell food and they gain weight. Can't lose weight on a 100-calorie diet, you know, 100 calories a, a day diet, they can't lose weight because their metabolism is so low. They get cold hands and feet, poor memory, hair loss. A lot of times they'll lose the lateral third of their eyebrows. Um, they get depressed, anxious, nervous. They may get a yellowing of their skin um, because they can't break down uh, carotene from yellow pigment fruits like carrots. They may get um, carpal tunnel syndromes, they may have problems with their equilibrium, their balance are just unsteady. They oftentimes, because they have a low metabolism, have constipation. Um, they may have high blood pressure because of low thyroid. And that's oftentimes missed and may get chest pain that's a, or angina and that may be because of low thyroid. High cholesterol is oftentimes driven by low thyroid. Menstrual irregularities, PMS, infertility, all those are signs of low thyroid. And oftentimes patients will go to their doctor and they'll complain of all these things, and the doctor will say, yeah, I think you probably have low thyroid. Let's do a blood test to see if you have low thyroid. And then you go back a week later and she says, well, you know, I've got good news for you. Your blood test came back normal. You don't have any problems with your thyroid. In the meantime, I mean, you're so fatigued, you can't even get out of bed. I mean, you're in the gutter. You're so wiped out, and you're wondering how in the world can it be that I don't have low thyroid? I've got every symptom there is, and you're telling me my blood tests are normal. I don't understand that. And the big thing is with this is that doctors are guilty of oftentimes treating blood work and not treating the patient. And that's, to me, a common crime that's committed on a daily basis in our country in clinics uh, routinely. Because we need to be treating the patient, not the, uh, not the blood work. Number one, blood work for thyroid is not very accurate. We're measuring how much thyroid is swimming around in the bloodstream one second out of one minute, one, out of one hour out of the day. And we're really guessing how much thyroid is actually getting into the cell where it actually does anything. We don't, we don't know. We're just guessing. If we take your blood and we see how much is in the bloodstream, we're guessing that if it falls within these parameters, then you're normal. But we don't really know, okay? So it's a guess, number one. Number two is we are basing oftentimes this normal on false parameters. Many doctors are using old criteria to diagnose low thyroid or hypothyroid, and they're telling patients that if their TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, is a, is, if it's below 5.04, then they don't have low thyroid, and they don't need to be taking thyroid medication. And yet, the American College of Endocrinologies, these are thyroid specialists, came out two years ago and said anybody with a TSH above three should be taking thyroid medication. There are many doctors, myself included, who think that patients do best 
and their TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone measured in blood, is at 2.0. Particularly, any of you that are taking thyroid hormone right now, and you keep going back, and your TSH is above 2, but it's below 5, and they're telling that you're normal. Um, research study after research study shows that people with who are taking thyroid hormone do best if their TSH is at 2.0. And you can read, excuse me, you can read more about that at thetreatingbean.com, my site, and just go on the essay about hypothyroidism, and you'll see, you can read for yourself all this. Now, another thing that happens that's very common is some people cannot convert inactive thyroid hormone known as T4 into the active hormone called T3. Now, don't, don't let all this nerd talk confuse you. Again, it's all written down for you on the website, and you can download that free and read it. Um, but just know that many people who come into my office have been taking prescription medication called Synthroid, Alevathoxyl, or Synthetic T4 for years, and they don't feel any better. And the reason is, I mean, they go back month after month, or actually every three to six months and get blood tests, the doctor says, yeah, your blood look, looks fine, stand that dose. The problem is, is that medication's really worthless for this individual because it's not converting into T3. You can live without T4, but you cannot live with active T3. And doctors really don't spend any time with this. They think if you're taking T4, it's going to convert. And yet we know from the research that there's a percentage of the population <coughs> that um, they have this glitch in their chemistry so that the T4 is actually not turning into T3 and they never feel any different. In fact, with these people, the more stress they get under, the more likely it is that that T4 is, is not converting into T3 because they're getting a buildup of a hormone called reverse T3. And the hormone reverse T3, what do you think it causes? The non-conversion of T4 into T3, that's what happens. And there's, there's not a blood test. I mean, there is a blood test for that, but doctors don't order that. So you can read more about that on, on the website. Now, how do you test for low thyroid? Well, the most accurate way I find is just to test your body temperature because what is your body temperature? It's a sign of your metabolism. What is thyroid control? It controls the metabolism of every, every cell. That's why when your thyroid's low, everything slows down. Your mental capacity, your energy, your con you know your bowel movements, you have constipation, again, your metabolism, so you gain weight, um, your drive, ambition, so you get depressed. All those things slow down because your metabolism slows down. What is energy? What, what makes energy heat? And so if your body temperature is low, that's a sign you have low thyroid. And how do you check that? <clears throat> Excuse me. What you want to do is first thing in the morning, if you have a mercury thermometer, you want to shake it down, and before you get out of bed, you want to put that mercury thermometer underneath your arm, in your armpit, and you want to leave it there 10 minutes and take your, take your temperature and see, hey, um, if my temperature averages over five days, 97.8 or below, then you're low thyroid. And I don't care what your blood tests show. If, you're, if you don't have a mercury thermometer, then you can use a digital thermometer. And what you want to do is one to two hours after you've been up, don't eat or drink anything or brush your teeth 10 minutes before you do this. And, of course, make sure you've been relaxed in a relaxed setting for 
you know, at least uh, 30 minutes. And what you want to do is take your temperature underneath the tongue. Again, if your temperature averages 97.8 or below, it's a very good sign that you are low thyroid. Now, females who are menstruating the first three days of your menstrual cycle, your temperature is going to be a little elevated, so I wouldn't take your temperature those first three days. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Now, there's a, again, you can go to that and see all about that. You can get a special report on there, too. You can see, uh, you can get a thyroid special report that will go into detail about that, and you can see that on the website. Um, but many of you are struggling with low thyroid, hypothyroid. Maybe you even share that with your doctor, and um, they have told you over and over, no, you're, you know, there's nothing wrong with your thyroid, and there is. And so I would encourage you to test yourself and see if you do, in fact, have low thyroid, and you just check your, your, your body temperature, okay? Now, you can get a, a free report on hypothyroid if you'll go to this website. get to see my mug shot here, my smiley face here on this thing, but... Um, if you'll go to hypothyroid-cure.com, hypothyroid, www, let's see if you put that in, make sure this comes up right, but if you go to, make sure, www.hypothyroid-cure.com, then, yeah, okay. So then what comes up is this um, this little information about thyroid, and you can uh, get a special report here that will go into detail about low thyroid, and I'm going to encourage you to get that and go through that and see if, yeah, that applies to you. Because so many people have just no zip, and they don't know why. And you heard all the symptoms that can be caused by low thyroid, and it's so commonly missed in doctor's offices. It drives me crazy. It really does. Well, the fourth thing um, that I find is one of the classic things that really keeps people from having the energy that they need is, believe it or not, I know it's kind of jaded and it's, um, you know, it sounds too simple to be true, but people are deficient in certain vitamins and, and nutrients that they need to, to, uh, for the body to work correctly. People don't realize how profound vitamins and minerals, the right dose and the right kind, a difference they can make if if they're taking on a routine basis. Where do the neurotransmitters, the brain chemicals, come from? Well, I've already told you, 5-HTP plus certain B vitamins. Where does thyroid hormone come from? Well, it comes from an amino acid called L-tyrosine plus certain B vitamins and the mineral selenium. And you can be deficient in anything, and you don't, and you, you wouldn't know it. I mean, do you eat five help five servings of fruits? and vegetables a day? Oh, heck no you don't. I mean, I try to every day and I can't do it. I mean, we're all incredibly stressed out, incredibly busy, and if you're not taking a multivitamin, I guarantee you're deficient in at least one nutrient, if not several, because the American population as a whole, is 70% of them are deficient in magnesium, which probably is the most important mineral in the entire body. It's involved in 300 different bodily processes. And when you're low in magnesium, you tend to be constipated, you tend to be depressed because you need it to make the brain chemical serotonin 
the brain chemical norepinephrine and dopamine. You tend to have more pain because it's a natural muscle relaxer, relaxes tight, achy muscles. You might have high blood pressure because it regulates how much calcium gets into the cell. And when you get too much calcium in the cell, you get blood vessels constrict or tighten, and that causes high blood pressure. Uh, magnesium regulates mitral valve prolapse. If you're having problems with mitral valve prolapse, it's probably a good bet that you're low in magnesium. You need to increase that. So magnesium is crucial. And so many people are low in magnesium. Just about everybody fibromyalgia is. Um, and if you're taking a Centrum Silver or one-a-day multivitamin, that just, is, as we say here in the South, that ain't going to cut it. Um, it's just not any, it's just worthless. I mean, I, I try to, it used to be more uh, tactful than that, more diplomatic, but it's, a, it's garbage. Okay, garbage in, garbage out. Those things are based on the RDA, which is the recommended disease allowance. It's just enough to keep you from getting scurvy, but it's not going to make you be healthier. It's certainly not going to make you have more energy. It's a pebble on the beach. It's not going to do anything. And it's loaded with colors and fillers and additives. And God knows what is in there. I can't pronounce some of the things that they have in there. Uh, FDC yellow and titanium oxide derivatives. You know, who knows what's in there? Anyway, you don't want to be taking that stuff. Um, what you want to take is an optimal daily allowance multivitamin, which is sometimes the B vitamins in there, like panathenic acid B5, which you need high doses of that to repair the adrenal glands and keep them working properly and to be able to handle stress. You need 400, 500 milligrams of that a day. Well, that is about, let's see, that's three or 400 times the RDA. Is it safe? Absolutely it's safe. Uh, you need to be taking high doses of multivitamins and minerals, and I recommend you explore that. You can do that on my website. You can go in there and see the different multivitamins that we have. We have ones for CFS fibromyalgia. We have one for, um, if you have problems with cardiovascular disease, heart problems. We have one just for complete multivitamin. It's got fish oil in it. Um, all sorts of them. But you don't have to take mine. But what I would encourage you to do is put your money into the best multivitamin you can find and then build around that. You don't want to be taking a B complex and a calcium and a little bit of um, extra biotin you heard. It's good for your nails. I mean, what you want is you want to get a complete multivitamin. And to do that, that's going to require that you take about six pills a day. Yeah, I know it's a lot. But it's better than taking a central silver and a B complex and a mineral complex and some of this and some of that and some of this. If you'll just take a good multivitamin, and typically, like I said, it'll be six. So you take three twice a day with food. You'll find that within a month or two, you'll, you'll have more energy. Now, if you don't do these other things I'm talking about, it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. But I guarantee you, you're much better off and increase the odds of being healthier and feeling better and looking healthier. That's the other thing. People take a good multivitamin. Their hair looks better. Their skin looks better. Um, all those things, the bowel movements improve. All those things improve to not only they feel better, but they certainly look better. Um, so I would encourage you to definitely take a good multivitamin and spend the money and get a good one. Don't compromise. You don't have to take all these other things. If you take a good multivitamin, you don't have to take extra vitamin C. You don't have to take extra calcium. You don't have to do um, take noni juice and green foods and acaya berry and all this other stuff they have out there. I mean, if you want to do that, fine. But I would encourage you to save your money and put it in a good multivitamin and then build from that. Now, number five is also a classic thing that I see with my patients because it's endemic to the American society, and that is many of us are taking drugs that are actually compromising our health. 
And if you look at the potential side effects of 95% of the drugs on the market today, the number one to number within the top one to five potential side effects of these drugs is fatigue, low energy. Um, that's just the way it is. Now, number two is typically pain, and number three is also in the top three would be a mood disorder like anxiety or depression. So many of you, like many of my patients, are taking prescription medications and they really don't know what these medications do. They were just told because they had high blood pressure, they needed to take a beta blocker like Topol to get their blood pressure down. And they started taking the Topol and the blood pressure came down. But they noticed because they were taking, well, they didn't put it together because they didn't look up the potential side effects and what these medications do, which I encourage you to learn about this. Go to mayo.com and look under their drug uh, potential side effects section. You can read all about the medications that you're taking and see Number one, what is the medication supposed to do? And number two, what are the potential side effects? Well, what do beta blockers do? You probably don't know what beta blockers do because you don't do this for a living like I do. But beta blockers are designed to block adrenaline. Now, we've already mentioned adrenaline because that's what gives you energy. It comes from the adrenal glands. And if you get low in adrenaline, you have no energy. You also tend to get depressed. Those taking a beta blocker, yet yeah, slows your heart rate down because it blocks adrenaline, which increases heart rate. But because it slows the, uh, because it blocks adrenaline, it slows everything down, not just your heart, but also your energy and your metabolism and your thinking and your moods and even your respiration, your lymphatic flow. So you may start getting one of the side effects of of these beta blocker medications, Topol, um, to Norman, these medications, is that they cause you to uh, retain fluid. And so be be because you're retaining fluid, you get swelling in ankle feet, then they put you on a diuretic, okay? Now, you go on a diuretic, what is the potential side effect of a diuretic? Well, number one is, guess what? Fatigue. Why is that? Well, because it depletes certain key minerals that you need to have energy. One of those is the electrolyte potassium. It also depletes magnesium. And it can affect those to such a degree 